This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon offered on Trinity Sunday, May 30th, 2021 at St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Talladega, Alabama. The text for the sermon are Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, Psalm 29, Romans 8, verses 12 through 17, and John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I hope you will indulge me for a moment for a little bit of a, of a history lesson. Um, so hang in there when I start this sentence. That in 1841, Edgar Allan Poe published a short story titled The Murders in the Rue Morgue. This story featured a character named C. Auguste Dupin, a Poe character that would later appear in other stories, including the purloined letter. The plot of the story was simple enough. Dupin is a man in Paris who solves the mystery of the murder of two women. Numerous witnesses heard a suspect when the crime was committed, but none agreed on the language that was spoken. And at the scene, Dupin finds a hair that he does not believe is human, and that would later become the key to solving the mystery. I won't ruin the plot twist for you, but just it's safe to say that Dupin's reasoning ultimately solves the case. Now this plot line, as simple as it may is, seems rather conventional to us and rather expected and mundane, but when Poe published this story, it was the first detective mystery to become really popular. Many credit Poe's story as creating that mystery genre. Poe's story set many of the traits that we would come to expect in this type of storytelling, traits that we would see later on with Sherlock Holmes and Hercule Poirot. The basic idea was that there would be a central brilliant man or detective, his personal friend like Watson or the unnamed narrator in this short story would serve as the narrator and there would always be sort of a twist ending to where even as much reason that you might have used, all the clues you might have followed, you never quite saw what the real solution was going to be. This sort of mystery story was definitely a creation of the 19th century, right? As we moved from rural locations into cities, crime became a big concern. How do we solve that crime? Made the front pages. As populations became more literate, we gave a lot more credit to the individual's capacity to solve problems and conundrums through individual reason. And as people read more, there was a desire to have stories to be read. And so detective stories and mystery stories filled the pulp fiction of the day. This fascination with crime and the celebration of human reason continues today. 
If we look across all entertainment genres, books, TV, movies, podcasts, mystery stories are always bestsellers. On TV, we get like police shows like Law and Order or supernatural mysteries like the show Lost. We can read Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code or any book by Dean Koontz. Even the Harry Potter books, each one has an element of a mystery, something to be solved through the skill and friendship of Harry, Ron, and Hermione. There are movies and ridiculous numbers of podcasts that focus on crime mysteries, and it seems like every month Netflix or Amazon Prime puts out some four-part, six-part, or ten-part docu-series that you can will lay out how a crime occurred and figure out what the solution is. You can even, if you want to, go pay to be locked in a room where you have to find clues and solve riddles to get out in a certain period of time. So in 180 years, a relatively short period of time, a whole new way of understanding was created starting with Poe's first mystery story. It has taken such root in our culture that it's changed the definition of what mystery means. Now our modern understanding of a mystery is something that can be solved in an hour episode or a single book or a 10-part documentary series. Mysteries are something that are to be reasoned out and solved. Now this is fine if you're talking about a detective story, but it becomes a real problem when we start considering what the mysteries of our faith are. Long before Sherlock Holmes, the word mystery meant something quite different. It was something secret or unknown, but it was something that you could not make known just through your own reason. You had to experience a mystery in some way. It had to be revealed to you by some outside force. In the Christian tradition, we have mysteries of faith which cannot be known or explained through our reason alone. They require divine revelation. In a few moments, when we celebrate the Eucharist, we're going to declare one of those great mysteries of faith right there in the middle of it when we say together, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. We often talk about the mystery of the Eucharist, and as Anglicans, we know that Christ's real presence is there, but we can't reason out how it all works, and that's okay because we hold it in the beauty of mystery. Today, the first Sunday after the Feast of the Pentecost, we celebrate what is the foundational mystery of the Christian faith, the Holy Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, as the hymn goes. We are called upon by our opening collect to acknowledge the Trinity and worship the unity. We in the Christian church have wrestled mightily with the mystery of the Trinity. We've tried to shake out and reason out every beautiful aspect of it. If this sermon is getting too long for you, feel free to turn to page 864 in the Book of Common Prayer, and there you'll find the Creed of St. Athanasius to see our attempt to bring certainty about the mystery of the Trinity. There you can read such enlightening phrases as, 
So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghosts. And in this Trinity, none is afore or after other, none is greater or less than another, but the whole three persons are co-eternal together and co-equal. And so it goes. If that excerpt gets your head spinning, Perhaps you might be eager to look to our readings from Scripture today. Surely, Scripture, which is our very special revelation from God, is going to tell us what the mystery of the Trinity is. But you're not going to find it there either. And it's not just because the makers of the lectionary picked bad readings for this year in the lectionary cycle. It's that Scripture has nothing to say specifically about the unique revelation of God as Trinity. So what do we do with this mystery that is the foundation of our faith? There's a guy named Bob Johansson. He's a futurist. I want to be a futurist. Doesn't that sound like a fun title to be a futurist? Well, this guy is a futurist. So he sits around thinking about what comes next and what sort of leadership we need in that moment. And Bob Johansson says that what we need as we move into the future is not certainty, but clarity. That when we look at certainty, what we find are rules. We find that curiosity gets edged out and that people that are really certain about something actually don't know how much they don't know about the thing that they are certain. <laughs> nor do they care to learn. Now, clarity, on the other hand, is expressed in stories. It involves lots of curiosity about other viewpoints and different ways of seeing a subject, and it means acknowledging that you don't know everything about this thing that you're trying to get clarity on. Johansson says this distinction is really important because our certainty is brittle and can be broken by the simplest little fact or contradiction. But our clarity is resilient and can adapt to new information and new relationships. When we look to the scripture that we're given today on this Trinity Sunday, what we are offered is not certainty about the nature or mystery of the Trinity. We are offered clarity. Through the story in the Psalms, we hear of the power of God of creation and uncreation. Right? God can animate creation and bring it to life, but can also strip the bark off the trees if he wants. We also hear the story of how God gives strength to God's people and offers peace. In Isaiah, we hear the story of a God that calls on our lives, calls us out of the midst of our ordinary goings-on and says, come and follow me. And when we are doubtful, God says, I will equip you for ministry. I will make your unclean lips clean. Come into relationship and go for me. And we hear that our that relationship is a key to the Christian life because that call that God puts on our life requires our answer of here am I, send me. Romans tells us the beautiful and powerful story that by the Spirit we are set free and are adopted as children of God. 
And in John, I think we hear the best story. We hear the story and mystery of our salvation in the words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. And each way, each story adds to the mystery of our understanding of God, gives us clarity, and calls us as a people of faith into deeper relationship with Scripture, with God, and with each other. Now, John doesn't give us the key to solving the mystery of the Trinity, but the story of Nicodemus, I think, gives us a model for seeking clarity of the mystery of God. We give Nicodemus a hard time, right? We always point out that he comes to Jesus at night, presumably so no one sees him. While he calls Jesus a rabbi, he is not one of the inner circles of the disciples. He's actually a Pharisee. Nicodemus also seems to miss the point of being born again and everything that Jesus teaches him, and then he heads off in the night, and we don't hear from him again for a really long time. We give Nicodemus a hard time, even though Nicodemus' shortcomings and failings are matched, and then some, by each of Jesus' apostles. None of them get it either. What we don't appreciate about Nicodemus is that when he comes to Jesus that night, He comes because he is curious, because he wants to learn something more about a viewpoint that is not his own. He came with the bravery to ask questions. He knew he didn't know everything about what he was trying to learn. And while Nicodemus is not part of the picture through most of the Gospel of John, he left his encounter with Jesus with clarity about God's call on his life. And we know this because it is Nicodemus who would stand in the Sanhedrin and speak in defense of Christ when he was on trial. And it was Nicodemus along with Joseph of Arimathea that buried Jesus after his crucifixion when the disciples were nowhere to be seen. Nicodemus is exactly who we need on Trinity Sunday, a man that was not certain but was certainly curious, someone that understood not all mysteries could be solved, and that it is through curiosity and relationship that we can gain new understanding. Imagine what our church would be like if this morning we decided we might be a bit more like Nicodemus that we might be willing to come bravely to God and say, we don't have the answers to this, and we're really curious and want to know more. Imagine what our communities and our country and our world would be like if Christians acted like they were shaped by the central mystery of their faith, which is the Trinity, God in three persons, in unity, a mystery that we cannot understand except through relationship with God and with each other. With all the divisions in our country, what would it be like if we approached each other regardless of our viewpoints, but came together seeking out of curiosity to learn something new? If we stopped looking at every person or situation as a problem that could be solved simply through our reason and a sound argument, but instead saw the mystery of God's creation around us. What we need now is resilience, 
of clarity that is built on God's love, not the brittleness of certainty. We are clear that through God's love we are saved, and it is through God's grace and love that we can each reach out in curiosity to those around us. The Trinity is a reminder that at the heart of our faith is not certainty. It's a mystery and a beautiful one. It's an invitation to curiosity and growth in relationship with the triune God, with creation, and with each other. We can certainly use complicated language, as evidenced by the creed of St. Athanasius, to try to explain the Trinity, but ultimately it is only through our relationships with ourselves, with each other, that the mystery of God is revealed. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Amen.